Amen. We'll turn together, please, to the book of Titus, Paul's letter to Titus, and to the chapter 2. Paul's letter to Titus, and the chapter 2. going to read this chapter together, and then just to leave a few brief thoughts with you before we come to our season of prayer. Titus chapter 2, and commencing then at verse 1. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men, likewise, exhort to be sober-minded, in all things showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing uncorruptness, Gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters, and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Saviour in all things. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Amen. May the Lord add his own blessing to this public reading from his own precious and infallible word. I would just like to draw your attention to the verse 11. And there at the commencement of verse 11, we read about the grace of God. The grace of God. And that's what I want you to think about just for a few moments together. God's grace. The Apostle Paul has a word here for everyone. He has a word for all. Whenever you look there in verse 2, he's speaking to the aged men. Pardon me, to the aged men. 
When you look at verse 3, he's speaking to the aged women. Then coming to verse 4, you'll see the reference to young women. Coming to verse 6, he's addressing young men. When you come to verse 7, he's speaking there to Titus himself in all things showing thyself. And so he has a word to Titus. Then when you come down to the verse 9, he even has a word for servants. And we could apply that today to the employment situation of those who are employers and employees. And so, as the Apostle Paul writes here, he is addressing all people, all individuals, and he is drawing them with the words of verse 11 to consider afresh God's grace. And we know tonight that God's grace is his free, unmerited, undeserved favor. And everything that we will ever enjoy from the Lord comes to us on the basis of God's grace. And of course there is the acrostic of grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. And so through all that the Savior accomplished in his great work upon the cross of Calvary, everything we enjoy and every blessing we receive comes to us on the basis of his grace. What does the grace of God bring to us? Well, you can see from verse 11, firstly, it brings salvation. Salvation is all of God's grace. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. And we learn afresh here, as Paul writes to Titus, that salvation is free from any human merit. Salvation is on the grounds of full, free, and sovereign grace. And the grace of God brings us that salvation whereby we're saved from the consequences of sin. We know the consequences of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. And by the grace of God, we've been saved from the consequences of sin. John's Gospel, the chapter 5 and the verse 24, the Lord said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. And so by the grace of God, we have passed from death unto life. We're no longer facing the consequences of sin. We're no longer under the claims of the law. But the believer, by the grace of God, has been brought to that position where we're freed from the consequences of sin. That's what God's grace does for us. We're saved tonight by the grace of God. Saved from the consequences of sin. We're saved from the control of sin. Sin has control of the unregenerate heart. 
Sin has control to the extent that the unconverted soul can become the puppet of the devil and the plaything of the world. And the power of sin is seen in their lives because sin has uh, them in its grip. But by the grace of God, the power of sin can be broken and the control that sin has over the unconverted soul, that's broken when salvation comes. It's broken by the grace of God. We see others around us in this world. We see those who are held in the grip of sin and Satan. We see those who are held bound by different vices and they're unable of themselves to break free. They're helpless tonight. And we should be looking at them in love. And as we look at them and they're there in the depths of depravity, we can only say, there go I. But for the grace of God, the grace of God that bringeth salvation, that has saved us from the consequences of sin, and has saved us from the control of sin. When the Lord saves us, the shackles of sin are broken. And sin has lost its power. Sin has lost its control over us. We're set free by the grace of God. By the grace of God, we're saved from the condemnation of sin. That verse I read in John's Gospel, chapter 5, and the verse 24, it says, Of the one that comes to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, not only do they have everlasting life, it says, and shall not come into condemnation. Will not come into condemnation. Thank God we'll never be in hell. We've been redeemed from destruction. And we can say tonight, by the grace of God, we'll never be in hell. We've been saved from the wrath which is to come. And it's the grace of God that bringeth salvation. But there's something else that the grace of God brings to us. God's grace brings instruction. When you look at our Bible reading at verse 12, it commences there with the word teaching. And so the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us. And so, still with the subject of the grace of God, the Apostle Paul is showing to Titus here that by God's grace we're instructed, and by God's grace we are taught of the things of God. It is the Holy Spirit of God who enlightens our hearts, and by the grace of God we're taught the Scriptures. We're able to come by divine enlightenment to something of an understanding of the word of God. Like the disciples there on the Emmaus Road, as the Lord opened unto them the scriptures, he also opened their understanding that they would understand the scriptures. By the grace of God, we're taught and we're instructed. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, And in the verse 14, it says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. 
But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Therefore, by the power of God's Spirit, by that divine enlightenment, the things of God are revealed to us. You could get those of this world and their intellectuals and their academics, but when it comes to the Scriptures, the things of God are hidden to them. Their eyes are closed there. It's not by the wisdom of this world. It's by divine revelation. The things of God are revealed to us. And it was the Lord Jesus Christ who was revealed to us. Our hearts were enlightened by the grace of God that we could see him as our only hope and our only saviour and our only refuge. That refuge for our souls. And so we were brought from our natural estate and we were brought into that spiritual estate. And there is the difference there between the natural man and the spiritual man. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, for they are spiritually discerned. And as the Lord teaches his people, and by his grace he teaches his people, there are things that we come to learn that leads to a change in our lives. When you look at our Bible reading at verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. And so by that enlightenment and that instruction, that teaching of the Lord by his grace, there are things that we will turn away from. Denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we will turn from those things. Not a matter of giving out a set of rules and regulations. And say, here's how you have to live your Christian life. No, if there's a genuine work of grace in the heart. And there's a desire to go on with the Lord and to read his word. The Lord will reveal the things of God to us and will show us how there are things that we have to turn from. Things that we have to deny. We deny ungodliness. and Those worldly fleshly lusts. That's the grace of God in the life of the believer. And as verse 12 goes on, that instruction continues. That there's not only the negative side of that which uh, we turn from and we deny the ungodliness and the worldly lusts, but in the positive sense, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. There's a threefold exhortation to us there of how we're to live in this world soberly. You could say that's to do with ourselves. That's something that is inward in our lives. We are to live soberly. And then righteously, that's something that is outward to the world and to those around us. We should be living in that upright manner before them. And then godly. If one is inward and the other is outward, then this one's upward. And before the Lord, we should be living 
godly lives. And these things come by way of instruction. We, we learn these things. It's a growing in grace. It's by the grace of God that we are instructed in these things. And we know there are things that we turn from. And we know that there are things that we turn to. And more and more, by God's grace, we're conformed to the image of his dear son. We die more and more onto sin. And we live more and more onto righteousness. And so what does the grace of God bring to us? It brings us salvation. And it brings us instruction. But I want you to see thirdly and very quickly, it brings anticipation. It gives us something of that expectation for the future. You see verse 13, it says, looking for, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. There's the anticipation, there's the expectation of the believer Oh, we're saved and we're seeking to make progress in our Christian lives and the Lord is instructing us and teaching us and that sanctifying work of God the Holy Spirit continues in each one of our hearts and lives and at the same time we're looking forward with a great anticipation, a great expectation. The Christian life is a life of hope. And thank God we're never without hope. You see, verse 13 speaks about that hope and it calls it that blessed hope. That blessed hope. And what is that blessed hope? It is but the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, looking for the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. There's the blessed hope of the child of God. We look forward, no matter what our circumstances are that we find ourselves in, we have a blessed hope. One day the Lord will appear. One day he'll roll back the heavens like a scroll. And he'll appear in power and in great glory. That's the hope that we have tonight. That hope is referred to as well, if you went back a page or two in your Bible, to 2 Thessalonians and the chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians, the chapter 2 and the verse 16. And it says, Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, And so it's not just described by the apostle as the blessed hope. It's described here as the good hope. And it's the good hope that comes through grace. What does the grace of God bring us? It brings us hope. The blessed hope. The good hope. You went a little further the other direction in your Bible to Hebrews in the chapter 7. And you glance down Hebrews 7 to the verse 19. It says, For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of 
a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. And here in Hebrews 7 and the verse 19, it's referred to as a better hope. Do you see the hope of the child of God? It's a blessed hope. It's a good hope. It's a better hope. Then over in 1 Peter, the chapter 1, and there in the third verse, just these opening verses of 1 Peter chapter 1. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You see our hope tonight, our expectation, our anticipation of the future, The glorious appearing of the great God and our Saviour Jesus Christ. That's a blessed hope tonight. That's a good hope. That's a better hope. That's a lively hope that we have. And thank God we're not without hope tonight. Paul wrote to the Colossians. Paul said in Colossians 1 and the verse 27. Christ in you. The hope of glory. The hope of glory. And that's the hope that we have tonight. Oh, the glorious appearing of Christ. And that one day we shall be forever with the Lord in the glory. The hope of glory. What does the grace of God bring to us tonight? It brings salvation. It brings instruction. And it brings that anticipation. And what a hope we have that